0: Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, one of the greatest blessings a family can enjoy is affection. Affection. A real, sincere, earnest, selfless love and appreciation. A deep care and and concern for each other. When when husband and wife have a genuine care and concern an affection for each other, when parents have a real affection for their children, when children have a real affection for their parents and for their siblings. That's a wonderful thing. Affection is a great thing to have in a family. The problem is that having and holding on to affection for one another isn't easy, at least not always. Perhaps, perhaps you know what a painful experience it is to be part of a family without any affection at all. It happens. Or perhaps you know someone who's, who's part of such a family. But even if, if, if that's not the case, we, we, we all know we can all struggle, can't we, with affection, constant affection for, for one another in our, in our families. It's, it's not easy in, in natural families to have affection, because of because of our sinful nature. But it's also not easy. It's also hard to, to have and to hold on to affection for one another in, in many other contexts too, in, including in churches. And perhaps it's even harder today. And perhaps it's harder, especially in our culture, with all of its focus on the individual. The risk of Eating a dead horse, I'm going to mention the word COVID. COVID may be behind us, but how many relationships are still broken or strained because of it in churches all across the world, perhaps even among some of us this morning? It, even apart from COVID, if we think back to before, it all happened. How much, we could ask the question, how much deep affection was there between us as church members, between believers? Where the grace of God is, there is always, there is always some. But it's something we can, we can always grow in, can't, can't we? Perhaps the reason COVID was so divisive Perhaps part of the reason was that, that there wasn't such affection, much affection among us. But, but what about now? Is, is there a deep, is there an intentional affection for, for one another? Maybe there are no major arguments, major divisions, major conflicts in, in our church. and Maybe there's no intentional avoidance or gossip or slander of, of others. I hope there isn't. But but even if there isn't that, do, do we have a deep, a spiritual care and concern for each other? Or are we content to just come to church, maybe speak to a few people we know and are comfortable with, and then leave and carry on with our own lives? Is our affection for one another perhaps something we tend to neglect? Well, maybe you want to respond to that question by saying, well, that's not really the important thing, Pastor. What matters is is my personal relationship with God. Of course, it's true that your relationship with God is supremely important. But you see, when by grace you do have a personal relationship with God in Christ, that that should produce an affection for others, especially for our fellow Christians. Because they are partakers with you of grace. God's unmerited, undeserved favor. Being partakers of grace together should result in affection for each other. That's what our text, Philippians 1 verses 7 and 8, in its context is teaching. Paul's affection for the Philippians in this passage is very clear. It begins already in verse Verse 3, really, in in verse 2 or verse 1 already, but already in verse 3, he's thankful for the Philippians, isn't he? I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. He has a concern, a care for them. I have you in my heart, he says in verse 7. He has a longing for them. Verse 8, how greatly I long for you all in the bowels, or with the affection of Jesus Christ. Paul's affection is is clear. It pervades this whole passage. And it extends, you notice, it extends to all the Christians in Philippi. He refers to you all three times just in our text, in verses 7 and 8. But what is the basis? What is the basis of his affection for them? What is the reason for it? Well, he tells them in the second part of verse 7. He says there, Inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. Or you could translate, you all are partakers with me of grace. Paul and the Philippian believers were, were partakers together of grace. Of, uh, they were partakers of God's grace in Christ. They had fellowship in the gospel as Paul says in verse 5, they had a shared faith in the gospel, in the good news of salvation by grace alone, in Christ alone. And they had a shared devotion to the gospel, even in the midst of opposition to it. We saw that a couple of weeks ago. The Philippians showed their their, their love, their care, their, their concern, their support of Paul as a missionary, even when it meant he was in prison. They didn't forsake him. And all of that, congregation, is, is what Paul has in mind when he says, you all are partakers of my grace. That's, and that's the reason for his, his affection for the Philippian Christians. Their being partakers together of grace was the reason, the basis for Paul's affection for the Philippian Christians. And that's really the lesson. That's really the lesson of our text. Being partakers together of grace should result in affection for each other. What does that kind of affection, a r- affection that's rooted in our sharing together in the grace of God, look like? That's the question we hope, with God's help, to answer from our text, Philippians 1, verses 7 to 8. So our theme is having affection for fellow partakers of grace. We'll look at how, how being partakers together of grace should result first in an affectionate mindset toward each other, secondly, in an affectionate concern for each other, and thirdly, in an affectionate longing longing for each other. So being partakers together of grace means, first of all, having an affectionate mindset or should result in having an affectionate mindset toward each other. Paul refers to his mindset in the first part of verse 7 when he says this, "Even, even as it is meet for me to think, so even as it, you could also translate right, even as it is right for me to think this of you all, to have this mindset about you. What's he talking about? What is his mindset that he's referring to? What, what is he thinking about the Philippian Christians? Well, he explains it in verses 3 to 6. He, he tells them, doesn't he, how he thanks God for them, and he, and he prays for them all with joy, and, and he's confident in God about them, confident that God will finish his good work of salvation. That, that's Paul's mindset. That's, that's how he's thinking about these Philippians, believers. That's what he's referring to then when he says, even as it is meet or right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. You you see what Paul is saying here? I want to make sure we understand the logic He's saying they're all partakers of his grace. They all shared with him in the grace of God revealed in the gospel. That was clear from the way they cared for him, even in his suffering for the gospel's sake. And because of that, Paul's mindset concerning them, his thoughts of them were full of affection. It's actually strong language. It's meet or right or just for him to think this way of them. Meaning it would be wrong for him not to. It would be a sin for him not to. Their being partakers of grace together with Paul resulted in, even required or demanded, Paul's affectionate mindset toward them. And the same is true for us. Being partakers together of grace should result in an affectionate mindset toward each other. That means, that means for one thing, being thankful. Being thankful for each other. Paul says in verse 3 that he thanked his God upon every remembrance Of the Philippian Christians. He thanked God continually. He thanked God repeatedly. Every time he thought of them. Because of their ongoing fellowship in the gospel. Because of their steadfast faith in Christ. Because of their steadfast commitment to Christ. He didn't view them with suspicion. He didn't hold himself aloof from them. He had no reason to. He knew they weren't perfect. But their actions proved that they were saints in Christ Jesus by grace. Their actions proved that they were partners with him in the gospel. And he counted that as a rich blessing from God. Something to never take for granted, but to be continually thankful for. And so beloved, if we are believers, if we are partakers together of grace, Our mindset toward each other should be one of thankfulness for each other. You know, sometimes that's not easy. Sometimes your fellow believers can get on your nerves. Sometimes they can disappoint you. Sometimes they can fail you. They don't live up to your expectations. Maybe they don't view things or think or do things exactly the way you think they should. And it can be easy when that happens. It can be easy when that happens to not be thankful for them. It can be easy to complain about them. It can be easy to gossip and to slander. It can be easy to criticize them. And for sure, there are times, there are times, beloved, when you may need to lovingly but firmly confront a fellow believer. Paul did that. We saw that last week. He did that with Peter even, right? Peter was compromising the gospel by not eating with the Gentiles out of fear of some of the Jewish Christians. There's times when we may need to do that. But our default mindset toward each other should be thankfulness. The way we view fellow believers in Jesus Christ, whether they're in this church or whether they're in another church, the way we view them should be preset, as it were, to thankfulness. Because... They are fellow partakers together with us of grace. Having an affectionate mindset towards fellow believers means being thankful to God for them. But it also means praying for them with joy. Paul talks about that in verse 4. He tells the Philippians, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request, or for you all, making request with joy. Paul is filled with joy as he, as he thinks of as he, and as he prays for these dear Christians because they are fellow partakers with him of grace. Hallelujah. Praise God. Their lives showed it and that moves Paul not only to pray for them but to pray for them with joy. And that should be our mindset too, beloved. If we are partakers of grace, our mindset toward our brothers and sisters in the Lord, our mindset toward our fellow Christians should be one of joy. Our prayers for each other should be filled with joy, not with envy or with bitterness or pride. What a joyful thing it is, isn't it, to see God at work in each other, to see him sanctifying each other, to see him creating in each other more of a hunger, more of a thirsting, more of a desire for him. Isn't that reason for joy? Being partakers together of grace should result in joy over what God is doing in each other. And in prayer that he would continue that work as he has promised. Paul's mindset. Paul's mindset toward the Philippian Christians is one of thankfulness. It's one of joy. But it's also one of confidence. We saw that last week. He's confident that they're going to persevere. He's confident that they're going to make it to perfection, not because of who they are, but because of who God is. Paul tells the Philippian Christians how he is confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will also perform it. He will bring it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. You you see, Paul sees the fruit. He sees the fruit of God's saving work. He sees the fruit of God's grace in the lives of the Philippians. And that gives him confidence that it will continue, that it will be completed, because he knows, he knows that God always finishes what he starts. He never forsakes the work of his own hands. And that gives Paul then this this affectionate mindset, this confidence regarding the Philippian Christians. And again, beloved, Paul should be an example here for us. Being partakers together of grace should result in a mindset of confidence concerning each other. When we see the marks of grace in another person, that should give us great encouragement. You know, sometimes we're, we're, we're slow. We're hesitant to recognize and acknowledge God's work, aren't we, in others. We worry about giving people false hope. We don't want to do that. So we tend to err on, on, on being critical. After all, we can't see into their hearts, and that's true. That's true. But Paul speaks very confidently here, doesn't he? He sees the outward fruits of grace. He hears the Philippians' profession of faith and he sees that their walk and their conduct is consistent with that faith. And he says, that's God. That's God. Only God can do that. And shouldn't we have the same mindset also when we see the outward fruits of grace in each other? isn't failing to do that. Actually, in essence, proudly despising God's grace. You know, earlier this week, maybe you saw it, I think it was Tuesday evening or or maybe it was Monday evening, there was a beautiful rainbow we could see from our back porch in the evening, all across the whole sky. Children, you know what a, a rainbow represents, right? It represents the the faithfulness of God, his promise of God never to flood the earth with water ever again. It's meant to, to give us confidence as we see this, the sign of God's grace. It's meant to give us confidence in God, to, to help us to put our faith in God. It would be wrong, wouldn't it, to see a rainbow and then to say, well... This rain is sure hard. I don't know if it's, it's going to flood the whole earth again. That would be wrong. This is God's promise. It's sign of His promise. And, and when we see, congregation, when we, when we see the evidence of God's grace, the rainbow of God's grace in each other's lives, isn't it wrong? I ask, isn't it wrong to say, well, I don't know. I don't know. Isn't it wrong to fail to give him the glory for it? To to think, to act as if it's nothing. It's just nothing. It's something that, well, that's just natural. I I realize we need discernment here, congregation. I'm not saying saying we should presume salvation if there's no evidence of it. And I'm not saying we should affirm everything our fellow Christians do and approve everything they do. We, We need to be discerning. But where there is evidence, even if it's small, even if it's mixed with so much corruption still, we should be encouraged, and we should be encouraging. Christ does not break the bruised reed, nor does he quench the smoking flax, and neither should we. Being partakers together of grace should result in an affectionate mindset toward each other, a mindset that's marked by confidence in God, not confidence in others, not confidence in ourselves, but confidence in God. How do you think of other Christians, other believers, other partakers of grace, also even in this church building here, maybe in front of you, maybe behind you, maybe on the other side? How do you think of them? Do you think of them with affection? Are you thankful for them? Do you pray for them with joy? Do you express confidence in God about them? Or are you suspicious of them? Are you critical of them? Do you tear them down in your thoughts perhaps or or even in your words and actions? Let us be congregation like Paul. Let us have a loving, affectionate mindset toward one another. You remember what Jesus said in John 13, verse 35. By this, he said to his disciples, shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if, if you have love, not just tolerance, but love, affection, love, one to another. The kind of love that makes us willing to stoop down and wash each other's feet. Having affection for fellow partakers of grace means having and cultivating an affectionate mindset toward one another. We see that in Paul. He thanked God for them. He prayed for them all with joy. He had confidence concerning them that God would bring his work of grace, his work of salvation in them to completion. But he also had an affectionate concern for them. This brings us to our second point, an affectionate concern. Look with me again at verse 7. He says, even as it is meet for me to think this, to have this mindset of you all, because I have you in my heart. Paul had them in his heart because they were fellow partakers with him of grace. He had an affectionate concern for them. His concern, a concern that was so deep. It penetrated down to, to his heart, to the very, the heart was the very, is the very core of our being. It's like, it's like they're a part of Paul. They're united to him, and, and he's united to them. Paul uses similar language, you know, in, in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 3. He, he says this about the Corinthian Christians. Ye are in our hearts to die and to live with you. You see, Paul recognized that being a Christian isn't just an individual matter. It isn't just about him and God. Being a Christian is about, it's about being part of the church. It's about being part of the spiritual family of believers in Christ. Paul and the Philippian believers were joined together as fellow partakers of grace. And that produced in Paul a deep concern for them. Just like he was, we would be concerned for ourselves, our own bodies. A concern that affected how he lived. He didn't live for himself. It's obvious from the situation that Paul's in, the circumstances he's in. It's good to remind ourselves of this. Where is Paul writing from? He's not writing from a a, a nice study with a nice view of the mountains. He's not being paid to write this letter. He's writing it as a prisoner for the sake of the gospel. It's been about 10 years, 10 years after his first visit to Philippi. He's already been in custody for several years, First in Jerusalem and then, then in Caesarea where he had appealed to Caesar. You can read about that in Acts. And now he's in Rome under house arrest, chained to a Roman soldier all the time. See, You can read about that in Acts 28, the last chapter of Acts. And from other sources, we know that the length of that chain, the length of that chain was about 18 inches long. So that's Paul's situation. He can never get more than 18 inches away from a Roman guard. He's a prisoner awaiting Caesar's, waiting for Caesar's verdict. He can have visitors. People can come and visit him. But Paul himself can't go anywhere. It's not an easy time for him. It's, this is life, life in the trenches. But what is he concerned about? Himself? His circumstances? He's not thinking about himself. It's not himself he has in his heart. It's his fellow partakers in grace. It's the Philippian Christians. Instead of being full of self-pity because of his difficult circumstances, instead of being concerned about himself, his heart is just overflowing with affection, with a deep concern for the Philippians, for their well-being. He has them in his heart because they're all partakers with him of grace. What about us? Many of us are confessing Christians. We're confessing members of this church or perhaps of another church. We worship together every Sunday. But do we have a Paul-like concern, a deep affectionate concern for each other? Do we have, do we hold each other in our heart? Does the way we live, do the the things we do, the things we say or don't say, and how we say them, do the things we post online, do the decisions that we we make reflect a deep, a heart-level concern for each other? Isn't it so easy to forget that? Isn't it so easy to be more concerned about ourselves, more focused on our circumstances, more focused on our comforts, on our desires, on our freedoms, on our rights, than on the well-being, on the spiritual well-being of each other. My guess is, congregation, my guess is, my guess is that many of us, myself included, struggle with this. We find this challenging. You see, we don't tend to think like that. Our culture doesn't tend to think like this. We don't tend to think about how what we do or what we say affects our brothers and sisters in Christ, but we should. That's the logic of our text. Do you see that? "I have you in my heart," Paul says. "Because, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers. Of my grace. Being fellow partakers of grace should result in an affectionate concern, a deep care and concern for each other. And not just some of the time. But really all the time. Paul speaks of his his having present tense. His having the Philippians in his heart. He constantly, he continually has them in his heart. Remember where he is, he's not even with with, with them. He's only visited them twice, maybe maybe three times at the most. And yet he has them in his heart. One commentator put it this way, Paul, Paul was not a friend who followed the common practice out of sight, out of mind. That wasn't Paul. No, his deep concern for them was constant. It was ongoing. And in some ways, the Philippian Christians made that easy for him. You see, they too had him in their heart. They had shown that by their, their sacrificial support for him time and time again. Paul refers to that at the end of Philippians. That that made very clear to Paul that, that they were partakers with him of God's grace. They weren't the kind of people that Paul speaks of in Philippians 2, verse 21. They weren't people who seek their own and not the things which are of Jesus Christ. They were people who obviously did seek the things of Christ. They cared for and they supported him in his imprisonment for the gospel and in his trial, in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. And that certainly made it easier. It would have made it easier for for Paul to have them constantly in his heart. But the point is, ultimately, it was their shared trust in Christ that made them so dear to him. So dear to him. So that he had them in his heart. And so, congregation, it should be with us. It should be with us. You know, sometimes we talk about church like it's something we do on Sundays. We go to church on Sundays. And in a certain sense, that's true. And that's important. It's good. But there's more to it than that. When we leave church and go back home and and go back to our jobs, we we, we shouldn't have an out-of-sight, out-of-mind attitude. We should be having our brothers and our sisters in Christ in our heart. Being partakers together of grace should result in a constant, in an ongoing concern for each other. By grace, congregation, it's by grace when that's so among us. And I think it is. But we can grow in it. Think think about what that might look like in your life. What would that look like? It could look like many things, depending on your gifts, your opportunities. It could look like doing regular Bible studies and prayer meetings together. It could look like Inviting people over, and not just people you know, not the ones you already know, but maybe people you don't know from church or you don't know that well. Inviting them over for a meal and and some fellowship. It could look like sending a text to someone or calling, calling them up to see how they're doing. It could look like visiting a member who's suffering in some way. It could look like praying daily through the church directory for a few families each day. It could look like giving something up that you want to do or maybe even have a right to do in order not to cause a fellow brother or sister to stumble. But ultimately, what it all comes down to, what it will look like, it will be looked like a steadfast commitment to the gospel, no matter what. Just like Paul. Just like Paul. It's because Paul had the Philippians in his heart that he wouldn't deny or back down on the gospel, even if it meant prison for him, even if it meant death. Because the gospel was the one thing the Philippians needed. Not just the Philippians, but the whole world. The point is, congregation, being partakers together of grace should result in an affectionate, in a deep concern for one another. Not just on Sundays but throughout the week. We see that in Paul. Paul had an affectionate mindset toward the Philippians, an affectionate concern for them. But also, lastly, in our third point now, he also had an affectionate longing, an affectionate longing for them. Paul expresses this longing, doesn't he, in, in verse 8. He says "Therefore, God is my record, or, or God is my witness. How greatly I long for you all after you all, in the bowels of Jesus Christ, with the affection of Jesus Christ. Paul's in prison, remember, and so he's thinking, oh, how can the Philippians, how can these partakers with them of God's grace, how can they know, how can they know for sure that he really cares about them, that he really does love them sincerely and truly? How can he assure them of that? Well, he uses the strongest language possible. He calls God to be his witness. God knows. God knows, he says, I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying. That he greatly longs, he yearns for them all with the affection of Jesus Christ. He longs for them. Their being partakers together of grace resulted in Paul's longing greatly for them all. You now it's interesting, that word longing, It's the same word the Greek Old Testament uses in several of the psalms in Psalm 42 when the psalmist speaks of how he pants for God as a thirsty deer pants for the water, longing for the water. It's also used in Psalm 84 verse 2 when the psalmist says, My soul longs, yes, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. In Psalm 119, Verse 174, the psalmist says, I long for the Lord's salvation. In the same way, then, Paul says here he is longing, he is panting after the Philippian believers. Peter uses this word to to, to encourage Christians to desire the milk of the word, like newborn babes desire milk. You can think of that. Babies desiring milk from their mothers. That kind of longing. That's what Paul's speaking of. I have that kind of longing for you. I long for you greatly. He longs to see them. He longs after the Lord's people. He longs to be with them. Not just some of them, but all of them. But you know the most striking thing about his affectionate longing is the depth, the depth of his longing. He longs for them greatly in the bowels of Jesus Christ. That's a bit of a strange expression. We don't use that kind of language today anymore. That's why some translations substitute the word affection for bowels. I, I long for you all, after you all, with the affection of Jesus Christ. But you know, that word bowels, it can help us actually understand the great depth of Paul's love, the great depth of his affection. It's the kind of longing you feel when someone you're separated from someone you love. Perhaps they've died. spouse, maybe, passed away. Or maybe a child leaves home, goes to college, or, or gets married and leaves home. There's that empty feeling in the very pit of your stomach. That longing, that yearning. That's the kind of longing Paul, Paul had for the Philippians. But you know, it's not, it's not his own. He doesn't long for them in his own bowels. That's not what he says. I mean, that's, that's true, but, but notice the language he uses. I long for you. I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. There's no deeper affection than that. Isn't that a beautiful thing to think about? The bowels, the deep affection, the compassion of Jesus. How deep, how deep, how deep that is. You no, know, we, we read about Christ's compassion in the Gospels. And compassion, the word compassion is often the same root word as used here for bowels. Christ was moved with compassion on the multitudes, Matthew tells us in Matthew 9, verse 36, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. His compassion moved him then to urge his disciples to pray, pray the Lord to send more laborers into the harvest. Christ's compassion moved him to heal the sick and, 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 and to raise the dead. Christ's compassion moved him to feed the hungry. Christ's compassion moved him to teach the word, His God's word. And Christ's compassion, his love is what moved him to suffer and to die on the cross. Paul's saying, that's the kind of affection the kind of love I have toward you, dear Philippians. How can that be? It's because Christ lived in Paul. Does Christ live in us? When we belong to him by faith, he does. And that means that we too should have that affectionate longing for each other, for our fellow partakers of grace. We should long to be with them also on the Lord's day, but, but not just then either. We should long to encourage them. We should long to do good to them spiritually in every way. Earlier I quoted Christ's words in John 13, verse 35. By this all men shall know that ye are my disciples if ye have love one for another. But you know what he says in the verse before? He says, verse John 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. Being partakers together of grace should result in an affection for each other, an affectionate mindset toward each other an affectionate concern for each other, and an affectionate longing for each other. Now I realize, congregation, this message has been focused especially on our responsibility as Christians. But I want to end. I want to end where Paul ends in verse 8. I want to end with the compassion, the affection of Jesus Christ. Because I think if we're all honest, we know that we all fall short. We all fall short in showing affection, having affection for one another. And the question is, and how are we going to go home? I do not want us to go home saying, well, you know what? I'm a failure. I should just, I'm just, it's, it's hopeless. That's not the point. That's not the point. The point is to see the affection. Of the Savior. To behold Him. Because it's only by beholding Him. And by looking to Him. By resting on Him. By casting yourself on Him. Who is a Savior. A God who is full of compassion. That, that, that's why I chose the Psalters I did. Most of them have to do with the compassion. The tenderness of God. If we see that. It's by seeing that. That He so loved us. He so loved sinners that he humbled himself to the cross. To the death of the cross. He's a savior. He's a savior for failures. He's a savior for sinners. He's a savior who's full of compassion. He came into the world, God says in his word, to save sinners. Are you a sinner? Maybe you have no, been a stranger to the grace of God, to the love and the compassion of God all your life. Well, now here you see him. There's no one like him. There's no love. There's no affection like the affection of Jesus Christ. And he offers it. He offers it. He will receive all who come to him and he will embrace them and he will love them. Love them to the end. And it's by looking to him that we also then, by grace, are filled so that we can go out and we can love and have affection for each other. Amen.